1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Road of Is Overtime on Road of Is Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly, you can follow me on Twitter, at Overtime Ireland, and as always I am joined by Sean Siegel, my co-host here on the show, co-host obviously of Stealing Bananas as well with Ben Gretsch, and I know I like to give a bit of promotion to Stealing Bananas when we start off these shows, but it's usually because Sean, fresh early on Wednesdays, I usually get to, I get to hear the first cut of the Stealing Bananas podcast, and Hear what's coming out, but a deep dive into auction strategy that released on Wednesday's edition, and we have got a lot of questions on auction. And you know, it's obviously still niche, but growing in popularity each and every season. And Ben had some fantastic points in it, and you obviously discussed some areas of it as well. So anyone that's looking to get more auction content, or even if you're just thinking of you know how to be trying to think through some of the different scoring settings and leagues and et cetera. I would be heading back to check out that Stadium Bananas if you haven't already done so. But Sean, we're on to the Thursday edition of the show. We're firing out these podcasts very, very fast. We've had a couple of super fun listener drafts this past weekend. We did the $125 draft over at the FFPC, so we'll see how that turns out come the end of the season. But we're probably going to have a lot more drafts coming because the feedback has been very positive on them. But uh, yeah, starting to starting to tick
2: towards August here. Starting to be a, a pretty busy time. It is. And once we hit August, we'll be fast and furious to the season. August may be my favorite month of the year with all of those drafts. I mean, we love the football season in and of itself, obviously. But draft season is what fantasy is all about in so many ways. So we're going to have a ton of content, one Wrote a viz. and one of the things that i wrote about earlier this week was the advanced stat tool and then last week the range of outcomes tool to say we're going to talk about the range of outcomes tool but i'm going to mention the advanced stat tool first because in the article i'm looking at five veteran running backs with gaudy peripherals and the potential to smash adp these guys are not nearly as expensive as their talent level would indicate perhaps they have some other issues i mean Fantasy football is not a situation right now where you have a lot of guys dramatically mispriced for absolutely no reason at all, right? One of the things to note here that these two tools are just two of 40 that we have on the site. I'll be going through a variety of ways to look at, use the different tools over the next month. One of the things that we do get questions on from time to time is that Uh, New subscribers and even current subscribers and you know even something where you know I'll go in and have a question for one of the tool creators at some point to make sure that this works exactly like I Think when there are so many resources People have questions about how to best use them and get the value out of them So we'll be looking at the tools how to get that value, but then also how to find the fun player notes and stats in there. People want to hear about the players. They want to hear those cool stats. And we've got so many of them with the different tools we have on the site. But one of those five veteran backs, and today's show won't be about them, but one of those five backs is Tony Pollard. And that does relate to what the show will be about, which is the range of outcomes tool and finding some information, perhaps to find discount plays for Ezekiel, a. we talk all the time about creating exposure to players at different positions and on different teams that allow you to have a scoring level or the potential for a scoring level at the least possible price so coming just to set the stage a little bit the five players we mentioned in this article last year they ended up doing pretty well in 2021 didn't they yeah,
1: they they did pretty well when we look back in terms of the win rate. And Sean, you're always one of the most modest people I know, certainly in the fantasy football industry when it comes to these things. But in terms of the win rates and the players that were discussed, they're they're all in the uh, well, they're almost all in the at least double digits. But we have Melvin Gordon, Sony Michelle, Devin Singletary, James Connor, Connor with a win rate of seventeen point one percent, Singletary with a twelve percent, Sony Michelle with a twelve percent, including. Winning Conor O'Driscoll that first place finish over at the FFPC, Sean. That maybe, uh, maybe we'll keep those. Can we keep those on uh, to ourselves this year? Those secret league winning players that we don't draft. But uh, Sony Michelle is in there. Melvin Garden, Alexander Madison. But you have teased that article, Sean. We get so many questions on who is Sean's zero RB candidates. Who, when is the list coming out? And we have done a number of shows. We did one about six weeks ago. So that gives a good idea. I would highly recommend checking that one out again. But when we look through this list, the five running backs with gaudy peripherals and the potential to smash ADP, and what we're looking at there is the James Conner of this year, somebody who was going in the ninth, tenth round last year, even earlier at one point. But when we got to this, just before the season, in that range. But Sean, you mentioned Tony Pollard. He is in that article. Head on over, and maybe we'll dive into it a little bit and say why he might, you know, be one of those characters as we head into this season. But the range of outcomes to Sean, to find three ways to save big on Ezekiel Elliott. I think we probably should look first at Elliott. And over the last couple of years, listeners to the show might think that we just don't like Ezekiel Elliott. Ezekiel Elliott is a fantastic NFL player, a fantastic fantasy football player, but the case is that he would appear to be on the downside trajectory of that career. So he's been a you say in the article a fantasy football juggernaut through his career he has scored more than any player at the running back position since he entered the league 656 points and only four more or four players have averaged more than 19 points per game and that's what he has set at throughout his career in three of his first four seasons got 300 plus points his rookie year ranked number one at the position of fantasy points over expectation And in each of his first five seasons, he ranked in top six and expected points per game. So huge volumes coming his way, looking fantastic kind of throughout that. And, you know, what we look at now is he's entering, you know, his his kind of the end of his 20s in terms of age of career. But looking at the, the graph, and you referenced some of the tools on the website, if we look at how he has done as a scorer in his 63 active NFL games, he has been a wide receiver, or a run, sorry, a running back one on 43% of the time, a running back two 19% of the time, and a running back three 38% of the time. And he hasn't missed many games in active only 3% of the time. But when we look through, there's a lot of those green weeks and those RB1 weeks are in his first season, and we, we start to see more of those RB3 weeks coming in, and last year being where more of them happened than any season previous. So are you comfortable in saying that we are we are through the peak of Ezekiel Elliott's career I think we'll we'll agree on that point.
2: Yeah I think in all likelihood and and what column is referencing there is the EP chart and specifically the receiving EP chart for 2018 to 2021. One of the things uh, that has made Elliott such a Strong fantasy performer is that in his third through his fifth seasons, he earned at least 70 targets every year. Over the past several years, obviously, he's fading both in terms of efficiency, fantasy points over expectation per game, and then also as a receiver. And you mentioned Pollard, and Pollard, one of the five guys on that other list. We look at Pollard, and his situation is that he's just been so good. And I think it's going to be more difficult to keep him off the field this year as we get toward the end of the time period where Ezekiel Elliott would just have this massive contact where if they were going to cut him or even sort of move him off to the side, then you have a player with just insane amounts of dead money. That was always going to be problematic. But as we move sort of out of that time period, the fact that Tony Pollard has averaged 3.0 or more yards after contact per attempt in each of the last three seasons those aren't really the kind of numbers that you're thinking of for a back of his size and explosiveness right only nick chubb and derrick henry have also done that over the last three years now they've done it on many 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 more carries so that's not an apples to apples comparison but it's still very impressive what pollard has done he's also been at 9.2 8.3 and 9.5 in terms of yards after the catch per reception, much, much better than Elliott up there kind of in that Austin Eckler or Alvin Kamara range. And Pollard is one of a couple of guys that kind of looked at in this list where if things fell the right way, he could end up being a lot closer to Austin Eckler than I think people realize. And maybe drafters do because Tony Pollard is not inexpensive when you consider that Ezekiel Elliott is sitting in front of him in that Dallas offense but we're kind of in that time period now where drafters are pushing him up and thinking about kind of that Austin Eckler Melvin Gordon type of time period where Eckler pushed through and became the guy Pollard has that type of potential and so when we're looking at that within the context of Ezekiel Elliott we know these two guys are going in different directions now Pollard didn't Play as much as we would like to see. He didn't hit even 45% snap share in any of the games last season. But when he was on the field, he touched the ball a lot. Right. And so they were reluctant to get him out there. They needed to have Elliot on the field. But when they got him into the game, they got the ball in his hands because of how electric he is. That kind of brings us back to your point here with Elliot, where even though he's played almost the entire season, the last three years, those win rates dropping from elite. In 2018 of 12% to over the last three years, 8.6, 5.2, 7.6. Now if he goes out and has another similar season with a third round ADP or a fifth round ADP or what we saw in our listener league going in the sixth round, that kind of scoring level is going to give you a very strong win rate at that price. But there's a potential that we won't even get that scoring level and Elliott is rising in terms of ADP. He may get back to being not obviously a first round pick, but he could be a solid second round pick by the time the season starts, especially if he looks good in training camps. People are going to anchor back to what he has done and the way that Dallas has used him. So one of the things I note in the article is that the upside for Elliott is still very easy to understand. And I do get notes from time to time from Elliott supporters who are very, very sharp drafters, you know, letting me know about that upside if you pull out the game splits tool and look at the last couple of years there's a big gap between when Prescott plays and when he doesn't play obviously a lot of the time when he wasn't that was in 2020 we have over 17 points a game in those 21 appearances Elliot is down below 12 in the others and so one of the thoughts that we should keep in mind about Elliot and when we look at just how bad he was in 2020 obviously hurt to be playing with a different QB But when we look at it from a talent perspective, there are all kinds of other running backs who are still able to succeed with lesser QBs. All you have to do is to think about the kind of season that Jonathan Taylor had last year with Carson Wentz.
1: So when we look then at some of the other options maybe to to fit into your running back portfolio outside of Elliott, unless you're drafting in the road of his overtime leagues where you might get a, a couple of rounds discount on Elliott. Sean, you mentioned here three controversial Ezekiel Elliott discount options Um, And what you're kind of looking for is the characteristics of Elliot. So a potentially elite talent with workhorse upside, meaningful backfield competition, elite offense with a significant high value touch potential, but there's also a risk of of collapse there as well. So I'll let you go and and mention, I don't know, we might say all these names, Sean, we might tease some of the names, but who do you want to start off with here out of the, the three names that we,
2: that we have on the article? Yeah, Carlos. So we have three guys here. I like all three of these names. The way that I found these names was going into the range of outcomes tool to see which players jump out as having similar scoring levels. Now, what the range of outcomes tool does is it takes these running backs and it's going to match them on different size, production, experience. So experience level, uh, sort of a proxy for age to find out who the best historical matches are. Dave Cabin has set this up so that the characteristics he's matching have predictiveness across seasons and he's using the last two years with a weighted in favor of the most recent season, right? So you go in and do that, he pulls out the, the 50 closest matches. There are all kinds of cool things you can do on the site to see how those matches have done year over year. I have the graphic here for Elliot's. It looks pretty catastrophic until you remind yourself Well, it's difficult for any running back or any player for that matter to continue to match the previous level. That's one of the reasons why we focus so much on that second year leap because you have so many players that take the jump. The balance is out the collapsed players because there are collapsed players from the rookie year as well. I mean, you've got all kinds of guys in there who still have the potential to become serious NFL players and don't. With the veterans, you have players falling out all the time due to injury decline of performance teammates coming up and stealing that workload i mean it's a battle every season to get your touches so it looks bad for elliott some of his closest matches are mark ingram i mentioned that because ingram even though we've been mostly sellers all the way through has actually been one of those guys who has thwarted the historical trends and has been uniquely successful as a dead zone back who has fought off collapse through a number of seasons now ingram not really a league winner for you out of the dead zone and that again kind of gives you a sense of why the dead zone is such a problem even the backs who are successful in that range don't tend to come out and become the players that you're talking about the next season of oh you've got to draft this guy right but elliott some decent matches he does come out with Low, medium, and high projections of 9.5, 12.5, 15.9. You may be thinking to yourself, well, man, that seems low. But again, remember, it's difficult to maintain the production. His half PPR projection in there at 11.5. Call him the first name on the list. And an interesting name because it can be tricky for rookies to do well in the range of outcomes tool. One of the things that we talk about with the range of outcomes tool is that it's going to be somewhat situation agnostic the best players to kind of look at and calibrate your expectations with are going to be veterans who are in a similar situation. You can kind of match those guys up and get a feel for how they look against each other. And that's one of the things that we've done here, looking at Elijah Mitchell, Josh Jacobs, and then Damian Harris. So I'm going to go ahead and give all three guys. I think it's it's useful for this exercise. Mitchell and Jacobs both project actually significantly better than Elliott and then Damian Harris a back who comes in with a very similar projection worse on the low side and I think that that probably is not surprising with how much Harris relies on touchdowns but interesting to see those three names with Elliott all of them quite a bit more expensive
1: yeah and I'm just gonna have a question because this is something that people using the website may have when you're looking at the range of outcomes It is going to give you the low, medium, and high for full PPR, but then it also will give you a half PPR scoring. It gives you also the PPR average scoring between those three options. Are you looking mainly at the average when trying to make these decisions, or is there times when you would look to the the high side of it or the medium side of the expectation?
2: Yeah, I tend to look at at all four numbers just to get a little bit of a feel. And and one of the things that you want to do here, too, is realize this isn't going to be perfect. I mean, this isn't going to give you exactly the outcome that happens if Mitchell's a star or if Mitchell struggles it's giving you a feel for what these historical matches have done. And I think that that is just so helpful because one of the things that can be the most difficult to do when you're doing your fantasy preparation is, again, to get a little bit of a a sense of calibration to really feel what's likely to happen and to be able to work through the different scenarios and the likely prices that you would attach to them. And so it's not a tool that I'm going to use by itself, but it's a tool that is perfect for finding potential values and then starting the conversation and so when we talk about well what are the backs who would be similar to elliot all three of these guys have the potential to be workhorses jacobs and harris bigger backs obviously both a uh, former alabama players elijah mitchell a little bit smaller but someone who has actually fantastic peripherals he comes out of nowhere last season he averages 15 points per game as a rookie even though his low, high value touches were extremely low down that 13% range, something you can pull up from the stealing signals tool. He finished number 12 overall in fantasy points over expectation per game. He's the guy who, despite his size, he has that ability to break arm tackles. And then with the explosiveness of Mitchell is a speed player, that speed works really well in the San Francisco offense. So he ever ends up averaging 2.9 yards after contact per attempt. There were only three backs who averaged a higher yards after contact per attempt and also had more touches right more running back carries not surprisingly those are going to be the two guys we mentioned earlier in chubb and henry and then plus jonathan taylor so when he's got the peripherals like that he's in the offense that he is in he has the tested athleticism that really pops but then demonstrates his ability to make use of that in an nfl field you know just out there playing right this isn't just stopwatch time and then he's in this 49ers offense that has been so favorable for running backs i think that there are a lot of things about mitchell that make him really exciting for 2022 and yet the problem perhaps is that that offense kind of cuts both ways you have the three elite receiving talents and you now have Trey Lance as a potential additional competitor for these high value touches. We mentioned that that was maybe the area of his profile that was lacking last season. Certainly having Debo Samuel come in and take a lot of the touches there at the end of the season hurt. They draft Tyrion Davis price. So out of these four guys, call them Mitchell is the one that I mentioned that you probably should get some exposure to when he drops below ADP. What are your thoughts on Mitchell for the 2022 season?
1: Yeah the, the thing with somebody like Mitchell is that he we talk sometimes about getting squeezed from different sides and you know how you could potentially lose work. He has as many ways to get squeezed as possible but when we talk about players who are ascending talents like he came as you mentioned from nowhere last year um, in terms of a sixth round draft pick who even at this point of last season, was not really being drafted. Trey Sermon was the talk of the town at that point. And uh, Mitchell comes in and and really lights things up and and looks fantastic. It did take a couple of running back injuries in front of him. But the other part of that is I would be concerned about the targets that he gets this year. So we've seen Debo Samuel take some of the rushing work. I don't really think that's going to happen this year. But he did finish 65th at the position for targets last season. And I think that might be a little bit of a limitation then moving forward with Trey Lance as the quarterback as well. So I think, like you're saying, if he's dropping below ADP, I think it's going to make sense to add him in in some leagues. He's not somebody that I'm specifically targeting. He is in that range just at the end of the dead zone most of the time in those drafts. And um, I, I'm, I'm interested, but we've talked about this a, a few times with the 49ers in terms of the kettle situation or Debo or Ayuk some of these guys I, I don't think there's enough to go around for them all to hit their ceilings this season and i think that we're going to see a lot of situations as well in the red zone where where lance is the one you know rushing it rather than we're going to see it with some of these running backs so they're going to lose that as well so in terms of how i'm playing the 49ers backfield, it is it uh, is davis price that i'm usually targeting much more so than elijah mitchell but when we look at these peripherals sean and what he did last year it's very hard not to have some excitement around Mitchell, but just in the range he's going, I'm usually targeting other players. Is he somebody that you think that we should be actively trying to to get some more of that on the roster? You mentioned as well, and we will get into Jacobs and Harris, but in terms of the profile, Josh Jacobs isn't really going to excite us, you know, becoming a veteran running back. We've kind of seen his peak, I think as well, but Harris is somebody who could do that, but he's getting squeezed from all sides. But when we look at some of these younger players who come in, if it's an undrafted player or a late-round pick in the situation like it is with Mitchell, sometimes not having you know that investment in it, whether it's a contract or whether it's draft capital, the chances sometimes are a lot slimmer than when you're a, an early-round pick or when you have a, a contract like Elliot that the Cowboys have invested in them. So have you concerns there in terms of the collapse as well?
2: well one of the elements that it just didn't exactly make sense for me is where they selected davis price and we know that the 49ers have been very unlucky at the running back position over the last you know three four years and that feeling of being a little bit snake bitten is going to lead you to want to create depth one of the you know recent reports out of san francisco is that Davis Price is not up to second string yet. His ADP sliding just a little bit reports that, you know, Jeff Wilson looks very, very good. We know he's had a few games in the past where he popped. One of the articles that the fantasy dude wrote a long, long time ago and does stick with me and you see evidence of it all the time is that year two is the season where draft slot makes the biggest difference at running back. So you see these guys who came in as lesser drafted players. You need think about someone like a Philip Lindsay, even with very strong production, the team looking for ways to replace that player. Whereas even, side-
1: uh, even a James Robinson last year with the Jaguars taking ETN then as the, the running back to replace him, obviously E. T. N got injured in the preseason, but Robinson had a massive season the previous year and <laughs> And they just decided, yeah, let's try and replace them straight away. Yeah, and
2: and not even necessarily always replace them, but but complement. Whereas you know some of these guys, and, and that's a perfect example. I mean, James Robinson, I my heart went out to him, even though it kind of worked out. He got to play his second season, and then he gets hurt. And, and you see why teams want more than one running back. But it makes a lot more sense to do it the way the Patriots have done it, right? Where they may have four. Above-average running backs without having actually had to spend much at the position at all to come back on top of some of these guys with earlier picks and and Travis Etienne obviously a first-round pick that a rebuilding team like the Jaguars definitely can't afford and and that's you know within the context of Travis Etienne being one of our favorite players and so we'll see if that enthusiasm for Etienne actually plays out this year if that's justified at all but it's another great example and. you know, that causes me some concern with Mitchell. At the same time, he's a guy, and this is a team in the 49ers where they're willing to play the best player. Everyone did think that Trey Sermon was going to be the guy. And then immediately the 49ers are just like, no, I mean, Legend Mitchell is really good. We don't know what is going on with Trey Sermon. And I mean, this guy can be a star and that's what he looked like that season. And when you look at his range of outcomes and you see 17.7 points at the high side, and you know, that's the 75th percentile outcome, right? I mean, you could go, I mean, there are are definitely outcomes above that as well. Now, I think knowing what we know about the offense, some of the historical matches that blew up and scored those points, I don't think that Mitchell really has access to that level of scoring within this offense. And so I don't think that he's necessarily priced incorrectly. It is going to be tough for him to, you know, just respond with the number of points you need at that ADP. But when you look at this you dive into his numbers you think about some of the individual big games that 49ers running backs have had i mean if he were to be the starter and stay healthy he wouldn't need to have you know a 35 point game every week you sprinkle in a handful of those with just solid performance otherwise and people are going to be talking about elijah mitchell as this dead zone running back winner one of these guys who came out of nowhere or came out of you know what we think of as sort of worse than nowhere in the dead zone and and just really crushes so uh, that's one of the reasons why i think doing this exercise is valuable sometimes it doesn't even have to change your perspective on a player completely just that slight tweak can allow you to see it in a more accurate light just slightly more accurately and then take that player when they fall i've had some teams where players on this list and players on other list that we've been discussing have fallen further than they usually do and when you're a zero rb drafter those are some of the values that you have to be very aware of you want to get some exposure to those players below adp as potential perfect pieces within that zero rb build. so column one more here I, i do want to ask you about josh jacobs before we sort of leave this topic in the show number 24 overall pick several years ago, he averages 14.9 points per game and almost five yards per carry. But the last two years, really sort of mediocre from what you might call a talent perspective, not an explosive guy outside the top 80 in fantasy points over expectation per game. But his EP profile last year, very similar to Elliott. He's three years younger, almost three years younger. You can understand why the range of outcomes tool prefers him from that perspective. And... He's one of these guys who things are just pointing so strongly in opposite directions because we know that people who finish fast often have a little bit of that momentum going into the off season they're a little bit higher in early ADP then drafters tend to anchor off of that ADP and a player who maybe the overall body of work from the previous season and even kind of looking at where they probably are as a talent over the course of their career They'll sit a little bit higher than that and then because that price is established they'll be a little bit high the whole way and when i say he finished he finished fast right over the last seven weeks of last year he he was at 17.6 ep per game those are pretty lofty numbers it's hard to get much above the 16 point per game range which is one of the reasons we talk about there being such a big gap between the true stars and the guys you would actually draft as an anchor RB or a legendary RB and then really everybody else, right? When we talk about having a modified zero RB approach, it's really just those guys who could be legends as opposed to the majority of players who fill in in those first couple of rounds. So when I say over the last seven weeks of last season, he was at 17.6 And that's a high number. That was ahead of what Jonathan Taylor did over that same time period. Now, Taylor was above him for the course of the year. But, I mean, he had this stretch where he was above Taylor. He was above Alvin Kamara. He was above Najee Harris. He was above Dalvin Cook. The problem, of course, is that people are pretty sophisticated. Drafters know what's going on there. They know that that was after Kenyon Drake was out. And they know that there's been a regime change and that when you have Drake, you have Amir Abdullah. You're not going to get the receiving work that he got at the end of last season. And then Zamir White also drafted. You know, there are some red flags for White, but at the same time, I don't know that we have much reason to believe that once White kind of gets his feet under him as a rookie, you know, maybe the second half of 2022, I don't think that when you look at the size, athleticism profiles for these guys, you look sort of at what they did in college, you look at where Jacobs is and not ever really emerging to be that true first round pick i don't know that he has a big talent gap on white is this going to be a patriots backfield i mean with josh mcdaniels coming over and then they immediately add a bunch of running backs it worries you that especially if you're in a redraft league where you have to determine your starters ahead of time that this backfield could be a headache
1: yeah i think the backfield is going to be a headache i think you mentioned the, the correct term there. It's going to be like an old school Patriots backfield in most ways, I think. Um, You mentioned some of the players they've added as well. So Brandon Bolden has come directly from the Patriots who at points last year was used quite heavily and is going to be somebody who this isn't really going to be great for fantasy, but is going to be on the the weekly active roster based on a special team commitment. So I think when we're looking again at ways of getting squeezed, they've drafted a rookie. They have Amir Abdullah there. They have Kenyon Drake coming back from his injury. So, I was actually amazed when, you know, reading this, I decided to go and, and look up a little bit about Josh Jacobs, and He's still only 24 years old. If you had asked me to guess Josh Jacobs' age, I would have said like 27, 28. It feels so long ago that he got drafted, but came in young into the NFL. There was a lot down the stretch that you could say you like, but the one the way I would look at it is you could feel like this offense is going to score a lot more because now – They have, obviously, Devontae Adams there. They should have a better offense. That could lead to more green zone touches and red zone touches for somebody like Josh Jacobs. But my concern is it's going to get squeezed from a number of other areas, and I think it's going to be a a kind of a backfield by committee. And what I'm looking at sometimes when we're looking at the backfields and the running back rooms, I'm thinking there is two or three clear options here, and it's easy to see pathways of how things play out. But in certain situations like this, I think – we have five people. I think probably at least three of them are going to be part of the, the committee, and then that's going to lead to not a huge upside for him in terms of fantasy points this season. He's somebody that over the last two seasons I haven't drafted very much of it all, and I feel like I'm, it's going to be very much the same this year where Josh Jacobs is, is not going to be on many of my rosters.
2: And I mentioned that I would expect a player who finished fast last season, especially a player...
1: He reminds me with his fast finish of David Montgomery's run two seasons ago
2: where he won a lot of people fantasy championships. <laughs> he did. He did. And and then Montgomery came back and, and played well last year. Sort of solidified where he was as an NFL back. I think that's going to be difficult for Jacobs to do. I'm surprised when we look at the ADP, we have the FFPC redraft adp up in the site you can look at that obviously if you're playing underdog we have the underdog adp we have the ffpc a various format uh, best ball as well so you can pick up the format that you personally are playing in the early going here when we're looking at the fbg and we're looking at the main event jacobs is more expensive than mitchell i think that's hard to justify when you think about The talent level and you think about how these offenses could play out well i think that both players are going to get squeezed mitchell still to me has the potential for a variety of very big games maybe jacobs does as well but in both of these situations i think that you want to play the rookies as potential picks now we mentioned a lot of times how If Jacobs gets hurt, it'll benefit White. If Mitchell gets hurt, it'll benefit Davis Price. There are also scenarios where the backups get a little banged up and the starters end up with fuller workloads. And then with fuller workloads, you could see these guys do some damage, especially if the offenses are as good as we think. And you mentioned that we like the Raiders offense and that part of it does also come into the equation. I think that the problem for me, again, and this is the problem, the reason why we didn't go into great detail on Damian Harris, is that even once one player and maybe a key player is injured, (laughs) you still sort of have the same quagmire just with different people. (laughs) Right. And so from that perspective, it's hard to get in on those guys. And it's one of the reasons why I don't have a lot of Samir White, even though I do find his potential as an nfl player interesting i don't know what to make of him exactly i'm hopeful for him he seems like a guy who may be ready to kind of break back out now as an nfl player and, and james cook too so it'll be interesting to see how these two georgia backs actually perform now that they're you know they're still competing with good players but not with each other in doing this exercise one of the things that stood out to me and one of the reasons i wanted to do this even though i felt like in the end I was telling readers, look, you can't draft any of these four players, but it's useful to go through the exercise, even if the actionable takeaway is just still stay away. If you don't go through the exercise at all, then you don't end up finding the players that you do want to take some shots at, maybe increase your exposures a little bit. You need to work through both the statistical side of it. And then work through your own understanding of how you think the scenarios are going to play out as a result, and then move your board a little bit if you need to change your tactics a little bit if you need to, and if you don't, that's still information that's valuable to you as you go forward.
1: Yeah, that's very good advice. And part of that as well, Sean. The teaser for the listeners here: we're about to do uh, an underdog draft right after we finish recording this. That will come out as Saturday's podcast. We'll see if we have uh, adjusted any of our takes on these players when we get into that zone off the draft but as i mentioned at the start of the show lots of positive feedback coming in on the draft episodes we do thank you for those kind words we love drafting and we love sharing those with uh with you to, to have your thoughts on them and i do think they're a way that you hear sean hear myself talking about all the players throughout the draft rather than we, we cover more of that sometimes than we can on the the shows as player specific thoughts so that is coming up for you on Saturday. This has been the Thursday edition of the podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. Drop us a written review on your favorite podcast app. And if you are looking to read Sean's work, the information that we talked about today will be linked in the description of today's show notes. If you want to sign up and get yourself a of NFL pass, you can use the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. That will get you a 10% discount. And set you up for the 2022 season once again that code is rv radio 2022 my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at overtime ireland my co-host is sean siegel you can check out all his work on rotaviz.com and until we're back on saturday with another show have a good one Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotovis Radio. Please rate and review the Rotovis Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotovis Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotovis with the discount through the Rotovis Radio homepage, rotovis.com forward slash podcast.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?